0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stuck, you here, and welcome back to the History of Everything podcast. You've probably already noticed that from the beginning here, uh, Gabby is not here. I'm going to go ahead and provide a little bit of an explanation. There are two reasons for that. First and foremost, she is sick, so it is just me that is going to be telling this story here today. Secondly, considering the subject of the matter, um. Or matter of the subject. Wait, am I messing that up? Okay, considering the subject of what it is that we are talking about today, this is not exactly something that uh, she is too keen on hearing, anyway. If you recall that whole episode that we did, um, the the main one involving the serial killer of Russia, yeah, that uh, that got to be pretty gruesome. Now, be- because of that, mind you. We're not going to put in necessarily nearly as much detail, but today's episode is kind of a companion piece to another thing that is being worked on regarding the Chicago World Fair. So what we have here for you today is the story of H.H. Holmes, which we're going to touch upon H.H. Holmes in the full thing, but I wanted to do this one, a a dedicated a dedicated episode specifically to this guy which is going to sound odd because there's a there's a point in here that I will be making a comment that we really should not be dramatizing as much as we do in the modern day for mass murderers, serial killers, etc. and here I am talking about the first one. But I want to talk about this from a historical perspective because it is pretty important to look at where these things really start to happen. So for context, we're talking about H.H. Holmes, the guy who was executed on May 7th, 1896. And at the time that this happened, you had the Chicago Chronicle, which published this huge like, piece about it, condemning him as a multi-murderer, a bigamist, seducer, a resurrectionist, forger, thief, and general swindler, which... Also sounds kind of odd to be placed there at the end, but that really was the majority of what he was doing, was swindling people out of both their money as well as their life. He was purportedly a man without parallel in the annals of crime. Now, among his many misdeeds, as the newspaper would report, there were all kinds of tales of suffocating victims in vaults, boiling a man in oil, poisoning wealthy women in order to seize their fortunes. Holmes is claimed to have killed at least 27 people, at least that we know of, most of which he lured into a purpose built, quote, murder castle that was, again, quote, replete with secret passageways, trapdoors, and soundproof torture rooms. There was even an intricate system of chutes and elevators that would enable Holmes to transport his victims' bodies back down to the Chicago building's basement where he purportedly equipped a dissecting table and a stretching rack and a crematory. In the killer's own words, he was born with the devil in him. He could not help that he was a murderer, no more than a poet could help the inspiration to sing. We're getting a little bit into the... uh, the thick of it here. But the short of it is that more than a century after his death, Holmes was widely considered to be the United States' first known serial killer. And to this day, that is something that Looms rather large in the public's imagination. I mean, okay, there are books, there's all kinds of different things where you have, such as, I uh, know I had one written here. There it is Eric Larson. So, this guy, Eric Larson, wrote a nonfiction book that sold really well called The Devil in the White City that introduced many Americans to him in 2003. And there is or was, I'm not actually even sure as to the status of this, but there's supposed to be some kind of adaptation that Leonardo DiCaprio was going to be putting together that was going to be a on-film version of this. Now, that all being said, as I said from the opening thing, I don't like this. This is this is less of, this is less Stakuyi telling a historical story right now and more so saying his personal opinion, but I really do not like in the modern day and age, the sheer amount of dramatization and media that surrounds serial killers and true crime and other things like that. Again, it sounds very ironic considering that I'm literally saying this story right now to you all over the course of my podcast. But then simultaneously, you know, I, and I did the the one on Chiquitillo before, but I like looking at old cases old events, things that in a time were shocking for people when it really, it really captured the eye of the public. And that's why I feel more comfortable talking about the stuff that is 60, 70, 80, 100, several hundred years old, depending. Not like, oh, this thing happened in early 2002 and it's 2022, so it was just two decades ago. I hope that that kind of explains it. But the reality is, about this story is that a lot of what is said may potentially just be story. There is truth to the case of Holmes' crimes. He certainly did murder. He certainly did cheat. He certainly didn't do a lot of these things. But while horrifying, it may not have been as bad as what popular narratives suggest. Now, I say that, but that's like the difference between you are literally burning in hell and you stepped into an open flame and are now in a bonfire. Comparison, you're still burning and in copious amounts of pain, but it's a different kind of thing. But his whole story is one that is just filled with myths and misconceptions. The reality is, and I'm probably saying that phrase a lot at this point, the killer's life evolved into a new kind of American tall tale. But like all the best tall tales, this does spring from a kernel of truth. So then one may wonder, what is the actual story? What is the truth? Well, it begins on May 16th, 1861, where you have H.H. Holmes, who was born as Herman Webster Mudgit. This, honestly, I find to be a rather funny name in the first place Mudgit. Hey everyone, Sakuya here. And before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? but he was born in Gimleton, New Hampshire to Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodate Page Price. Now, Gimbleton was a small kind of isolated town that was located around 20 miles north of Concord, and some sources claim that Holmes was actually born in 1860, but Holmes would state himself that he was born in 1861, which was verified in the New Hampshire Birth and Christenings Index. Holmes' parents were... Quite religious, they were very devout Methodists. They demanded total obedience from him. Prior to her marriage, his mother was actually a schoolteacher, and there I probably would not have wanted her as my teacher because she was described as a rather cold and distant person, one who would use religion as a daily guide for parenting. Which, in some cases, is not necessarily bad, but in the case of a cold disciplinarian, Probably is, as was the case with his alcoholic father, which also followed a strict disciplinarian approach that resulted oftentimes in physical abuse. So his parents were both physically and mentally abusive of him, and this was particularly true with his father. Those tactics would include prolonged isolation, food deprivation, etc., Furthermore, his father even was reported to have held kerosene-soaked rags over Holmes and his other children's mouths in order to keep them quiet when they cried. And during these instances of abuse by his father, Holmes would find some sort of refuge in the forest near his home. And it was in that forest that he began to dissect animals and develop a kind of fascination with things that were dead or alive, It's possible that at this time, Holmes, who was known as a very intelligent loner, was so traumatized by the abuse that he was experiencing that that would lead him to not really be able to form any kind of meaningful relationships in the future. His own abuse may have also contributed to his uh, knack for lying, swindling, and abusing others. I mean, after all, serial killers are significantly more likely to have experienced physical abuse in their childhood than the average person beating a child usually creates a more twisted rather than well-rounded individual. However, Holmes' parents were not the only contributing factor to his abusive upbringing, because as a child, he was intelligent and was bullied and abused in his school for getting good grades and also for being a little bit odd, you know, probably from being extensively abused at home. The most noted of those experiences occurred when Holmes was blindsided by his classmates and was forced into a doctor's office, where reportedly the hands of a skeleton were forcibly placed over his face, and he would recall later that this may have been one of the big starting points for his curiosity about human anatomy, not just animal anatomy, which led him to pursue medicine as a career. So after graduating high school at the age of 16, Mudgett would change his name to Henry Howard Holmes, hence H.H. H. Holmes. And later in life, he would then known as H.H. Holmes. Holmes would then study medicine at a small school in Vermont before he was accepted into the University of Michigan Medical School. And while he was enrolled in that school, he did several odd things. Apparently, he stole cadavers from the laboratory and would then burn or disfigure them. Then he would plant the bodies back, making it look as though they had been killed in some kind of accident. The scandal behind it was that Holmes would take out insurance policies on these people before planting the bodies. And he would then collect the money once the bodies were discovered. Which, I'm... I, I looked so, for so much information on this when I read that. I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute. So he he would plant these bodies? How, how would one go about doing this? How, how would he think that that is not something that would end up getting him caught? And I couldn't really find much on it. A lot of these these stories in here come from quotes that he himself said or from just simple records or legends of the time. I, it's such a weird little thing. But ironically, ironically, that whole point about stealing cadavers, that is genuinely a thing that would happen. Little side note, little tangent from all this. Stealing cadavers and selling them to medical schools was a very common practice. So in this case, it is stealing cadavers from the medical school and then disfiguring them to make them look like they weren't donated bodies so that he could collect insurance money. That was, um... That was going to be a little bit of a trend for him, as you're going to find out. So in 1884, Holmes would pass his medical exams, and in 1885, he moved to Chicago where he got a job that was working at a pharmacy under an alias, Dr. Henry H. Holmes. Now, this is almost something that did not happen because in 1884, he was nearly prevented from graduating when there was this widowed hairdresser that accused him of making a false promise of marriage to her. He, he reportedly promised to marry her and then didn't. That was um, another thing that was going to become very common for him. But eventually, after he had moved down to Chicago and worked at this drugstore, the owner of the drugstore passed away and that owner left the store to his wife to manage. But Holmes managed to convince the widow to let him instead buy the store, and that widow soon went missing and was never seen from again. Holmes, of course, claimed that she moved to California, but this could never actually be verified. After Holmes became the owner of the drugstore, he would go on to purchase an empty lot that was just across the street. He designed and built a three-story hotel, which the neighborhood called The Castle. And during its 1889 construction, Holmes would hire and fire several construction crews so that really no one had a clear idea of what exactly he was doing. He designed, effectively, a murder castle, which is something that is, is, I I have to give this a little side note, I find this to be very interesting, because One of the things that was reportedly done in the medieval period or in ancient times is that after, say, a castle or some kind of fortified structure was built, if there was slave labor or something that had been building it, those workers or slaves were put to death in some places specifically so that the secret of it could not get out. Like if there was any secret passages or... Kat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Really anything that could have given them any kind of trouble. You know, down the line because now there's people that know about the secrets that no one is supposed to know about. It's not like one person could just build it entirely themselves. So after construction on this murder castle was complete in 1891, Holmes would place ads in the newspapers offering jobs for young women and advertised the castle as a place for lodging. He also placed ads presenting himself as a wealthy man who was looking for a wife. Yeah, that, uh... That seemed to always be the case for him, looking for a wife. You see, all of Holmes' employees, the hotel guests, the fiancés, and the wives, were required to have life insurance policies. Holmes would pay the premiums as long as they listed him as the beneficiary, and most of his fiancés and wives would just suddenly disappear, as did many of his employees and guests. People in the neighborhood eventually reported that they saw many women enter the castle, but at times they would never see them exit. So in 1893, Chicago was given the honor of hosting the World's Fair, which was this massive cultural and social event to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Columbus's discovery of America. You can say what it is that you want at that point. That was the reason behind why this occurred at that time. The event was scheduled to take place from May all the way to October, and it attracted millions of people from all over the world. Which, for Holmes, when he heard that the World's Fair was coming to Chicago, that was an opportunity, because he knew that many visitors would be searching for lodging near the fair, and he believed that many of them would be women who he could then easily seduce into staying in his hotel. And after being lured into the hotel... Many of those out-of-town visitors would simply never be seen from again. The first floor of his castle had several stores. The two upper levels would contain Holmes' office and over a hundred rooms that were reportedly used as living quarters. Now, some of those rooms supposedly, and I'm saying supposedly, mind you, with a lot of these things because a lot are claims that would appear in newspapers. Some of these rooms were soundproofed and would contain gas lines so that Holmes could apparently asphyxiate his guests whenever he actually felt like it. And throughout the building, there would be trap doors, peepholes, stairways that led to nowhere, chutes that would lead to the basement. The basement was designed, apparently, as Holmes' own kind of lab. It had a dissecting table, the stretching rack, the crematory, and sometimes he would send the bodies just down the chute, dissect them, strip them of their flesh, and then sell them as human skeleton models to medical schools. Pretty much everything for him was about money and anatomy together. In other cases, he would choose to cremate or place the bodies into pits of acids. Now, as I said, all of these descriptions were described by what very well could be overly embellished or completely fabricated news reports in the 1890s. The reality of the situation is that yellow journalism was a really big thing at this time. Now, it had been big for years. It was really bad, and it still is something today. But in the 1800s going into the early 1900s, this was particularly bad. And that probably deserves an entire podcast episode by itself, to be honest. Through it all, Holmes would travel throughout the U.S., committing insurance fraud and murdering, along with his accomplice, Benjamin Pizzle. Once the World's Fair had ended, Chicago's economy was in a bit of a slump. Like, it no longer had this massive energy surge from such a massive, ma- massive? Yeah, from such a massive event. And what ended up happening then is Holmes decided to abandon the castle and instead focus on insurance scams, committing murders all along the way. And it was during that time that Holmes would steal horses from Texas and ship them to St. Louis, where they would then be sold, making him a fortune. For that, he was caught and actually arrested and sent to jail. So while he was in jail, he concocted a new kind of insurance scam, one with his cellmate, a person by the name of Marion Hedgepet. The plan behind this, the idea was, is that they would take out an insurance policy for $10,000, he would fake his own death and then provide Hedgepeth with $500 in exchange for a lawyer who would then help him if any problems arose. Because we're talking about a scam, and there is literally an infinite number of things that could happen. So once Holm was released from jail on bail, he attempted his plan. It didn't work, though. The insurance company was suspicious, and they refused to pay him. So, Holmes then decided to attempt a similar plan in Philadelphia, but this time he would have Pitezel fake his own death. But during the scam, Holmes actually went and killed Pitezel and collected the money for himself. In 1894, Marion Hedgepith, who was now very angry that he did not receive any of the money in the initial scam, he told police about the scam that Holmes had planned. The police then tracked Holmes, finally catching up to him in Boston, where they arrested him and held him on an outstanding warrant for the Texas horse swindle. At the time of his arrest, Holmes appeared as if he was prepared to flee the country, and police were becoming very suspicious of him. So Chicago police decided to investigate Holmes Castle, where they discovered his strange and rather efficient methods for torturing and murdering people. Many of the bodies that they located were so badly dismembered and decomposed that it was really hard for them to determine exactly how many bodies there really were. So the police investigation then spread throughout Chicago, Indianapolis, Toronto, anywhere that Holmes really was operating. And while conducting their investigation in Toronto, police discovered the bodies of Pitazel's children, who had gone missing sometimes during Holmes' insurance fraud spree. Linking Holmes to their murders, police would arrest him, and he was convicted of their murders. He also confessed to 28 others, but throughout the investigation and other missing persons reports, it's believed that Holmes is actually responsible for up to 200 murders. We just don't know. So in May of 1896, one of America's first serial killers, H.H. Holmes, was hung. The castle was remodeled as an attraction and named Holmes Horror Castle However, it burned to the ground shortly before it opened. That really is the end of H.H. Holmes. But before we go, there was one final detail that I found that I wanted to be able to put in here. And that is that at the killer's request, he was apparently scared of grave robbers going in and taking his own body. Not his wealth, not anything like that, not his clothing. Just they didn't want anyone messing with his body which is very ironic coming from the serial killer that really loved messing with people's bodies. He was buried 10 feet below ground in a cement-filled pine coffin, something that would ensure that no one would actually be able to get to him, much as he got to other people. But everyone, that is the end of today's story. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, or at least tried to considering the subject matter, This is, again, a companion piece that is going with the Chicago's World Fair, which is something that is being worked on currently. I hope that you all have a good rest of your day, and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye, everyone.